Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Buddhang Dhammang Sankang Namasami So it's a process of Dhamma, process of purification, process of awakening, or developing wisdom, developing the wisdom faculty that we already have. Uh, and so the wisdom faculty is that which is able to discriminate, to discern black from white, left from right, up from down, internal from external. What's skillful, what's unskillful, suffering and non-suffering, the cause of suffering and the cause of the end of suffering, so it can be very obvious and it can also be quite subtle, it can be quite profound. The idea is that you, you start with that ability to measure things and look at, and then you develop that faculty look at things like cause and effect because it's not that we don't have wisdom but the problem is that we don't use it so well and use it very thoroughly actually sort of so the point of mindfulness is that you're able to keep a frame of reference a continual reference point to that particular action what was the result of that that particular attitude what was the result of that um, this particular result I'm experiencing, what, what was the cause of that? You know, uh, So it's that sense of uh, being able to uh, develop this way of reflection and to, through mindfulness, using mindfulness as a reference point. That's its function. You know, often the, the term mindfulness itself is uh, rightly... <laughs> honoured uh, faculty in, in mind cultivation but uh, it can sometimes be seen as this is all, all you need to do or this is all there is and, uh, but when the Buddha 
use the term mindfulness, he generally taught it in, in, as part of a cluster of various factors, such as it's the seventh factor of the eightfold path. You don't have a onefold path, you have the eightfold path. It's one of the, what are called the five indriya, or supportive faculties, faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, wisdom. You don't, so you don't have one faculty, you have five of them. Uh, when one establishes mindfulness in according to the Satipatthana Sutta, it has associated with atapi, which means that sense of of eagerness, of keenness, of ardor, and sampajanya, the sense of uh, reflection, comprehension, um, awareness, full awareness of of cause and effect to results. Yeah? So it's always mindfulness is always with other things. Yeah. It doesn't stand alone. And the friends and associates of mindfulness are the, are the things that help to, to guide it because the, the salient faculty of mindfulness is just the ability to bear something in mind, you know, to keep referring to something, you know, like your body, your breathing, um, the feeling, the, the effect that's happening in the mind. This is the mind affected by worry or joy or eagerness or... Resistance, yeah, you know. So you're re- using your mindfulness is just that kind of sticking your your attention on something and saying, "How is this now?" You know. Yeah, so it's this very important uh, faculty, but uh, you know it, itself, it, it's it's supported. It has to be attuned to having the right intention. So we're not just attending to something because it's fascinating or obsessive <coughs> or desirable. You're not referring to something because they're, they're exciting or desirable, but actually they're attuned to which you, what, you know, to the intention to, to develop wisdom, clarity, purity, uh, release. You know? So there's a whole motivation that, that precedes mindfulness. Sometimes mindfulness is seen as something that's just kind of bare awareness with no particular attitude, no judgments. And it's true, there's no, not necessarily judgment, but it doesn't mean there's no wisdom. (laughs) You know, it's not being judgmental, it's just recognizing when you bear something in mind, hey, you know, the result of that particular mental attitude was this. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how did that feel? Now, you know, the, the sense of forming a verdict about oneself based upon that is, is overdoing it. But not learning from one's mistakes is plain foolish. You know, so there's assessment. You know, we, we refer and we assess. I guess it's the main thing is that you're not, you know, developing some sense of self out of it, like I'm an idiot or a bad person, but you're seeing actually that particular mind state leads to that particular result and effect. You know, so you're looking at things just in that it's kind of neutral, and yet trying to learn something out of out of the results of one's one's actions, including mental actions. So this sense of reference, right reference, and uh, is, is the important point. Around it, you know, there's these other faculties that that say why you're referring to something, what you're on the lookout for, and how to get a sense of, you know, where, you get, where, it's, where it's getting it wrong, where you're getting stuck and what that feels like. 
you know, what the stuck mind feels like, what the heated up mind feels like, you know. And uh, certainly the beauty of, of it, you know, is that particularly in this frame of reference of the of the Satipatthana, which means you have a kind of keenness and eagerness to learn, to see, to, you know, open up, to reveal what's going on, and a full awareness to, to assess the results, to, to look at how things happen, is that those two surrounding factors are... They're adequate. They're sufficient. You know, you don't you don't have to do anything more than that. So you're just aware of oh, this is the sense of the mind affected by happiness or contentment. Mm. You know, this is the mind affected by guilt or something nagging. Mm. It's like that. You know? So you know, we're not making comment on that, but we are noticing these experiences and this this beauty of this quality of, of sampajanya, full awareness is that as soon as one really notices or is aware of something rather than thinking about it or reacting to it or stuffing it down or lifting it up then the, the, the very energy of it changes it starts to, you know, the, the pushy energy starts to oh, yeah, it starts to even out there's a particular energy associated with full awareness which is uh, expansive, uh, you know, it doesn't. It's not aiming for anything. It's just uh, holding things carefully. And it seems that this factor in itself seems to be the one that allows things to find their balance. You know, this is what it's like to be think obsessively thinking. Oh. And you feel it in your body. You feel it in your emotions. You feel the whole energy and movement of that. So you arrive at this more unified um, uh, reference of mind not the thinking mind not the emotions but something that encompasses all of these you get a sense of when you're feeling because the the salient factor of that is one feels somehow quite calm, contented, happy present and the others and that becomes the dominant experience the others forms start to kind of fade and you this is how samadhi develops through this process of artavi or keenness, interest, um, mindfulness, and full awareness. It, it we begin to um, you know the waves, if you like, the waves of the mind start to die down by themselves. Now it's actually uh, you know the process of just knowing where one's going off, when one's getting it wrong isn't that easy, actually. So one of Ajahn Chah's famous uh, pithy similes is when you see you know, somebody drunk on the road and they're falling into the ditch on the right side of the road, you tell them, hey, you go left. You know? and if you see somebody drunk and he's staggering down the road and falling into the ditch on the left-hand side of the road, tell them, hey, hey, lean over to the right. You know? Which is is fine, of course. Because when you when you've had a skinful, you don't think you're falling in the ditch. You wonder how did the road how did the road why does the road keep moving around so fast? <laughs> you know, I'm walking a dead straight line, and somebody put this ditch in front of me. You know? uh, so you don't, you know, when you don't really know, 
you can't know for yourself. You know, so you have to have something outside of that. You know, and this is generally what is provided by, first of all, the basic thing, other people. You know, trusted friends, Kalyanamitta. And then this sense of, uh, growing sense of recognizing the, 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 the mood, the, the, the state of mind. But it begins with that, that very humble external reference to other people, to external standards. So this is, you know, a kind of fundamental basis is always, you know, you've got, you can kind of uh, look at this whole process of mindfulness is start off with very clear external and internal references, you know, obvious ones like the precepts, um, you know, conventions and customs, um, other people, uh, and, and you bear those in mind. And you want to have people who you, you feel you can bear in mind. You think, yeah, this is, this is someone who's a good reference point. Mm. You know, and you, you use that. Because you know, you, you can't always, when the mind is, is, is uh, you know, caught up, it doesn't know it's caught up. So it does something outside it. And even in the uh, so this sense of, uh, of of spreading one's one's uh, frame of reference is also very important to to um, check when you're going off. And in the Satipatthana Sutta, the Buddha very simply summarizes: says one is mindful internally, one is mindful externally, one is mindful of both. So it's based on either internal reference, which means you might say your own inner landscape of your thoughts and moods and feelings and subjective impressions and then something external which is objects outside you're, you're mindful of, you bear them in mind you know, and then you also bear the internal and external it's the relationship between the two you know, said, though this is the kind of uh, the holistic um, uh, presentation of, in very simple terms of how we cultivate you know, so that and mindfulness is not purely uh, an internal meditative experience, but it's, it's um, something that covers the whole holistic uh, realm that we live in. Yeah. I think this is much more helpful that, than you know, emphasizing mindfulness as kind of like you know, a one-pointed on a particular um, sense object or mental impression, you know. That that may that may come around, but first of all, you want to really get the the <clears throat> the kind of um, the holistic pattern of it, so that you, you really get familiar with the with where we go off, whether we get stuck internally, which means we get obsessive, caught up with our own thoughts and feelings and attitudes, uh, you know, which can be very convincing, and the energy's there, you know. So we don't, then we, we don't look outside, we don't refer to other people, we don't refer to what we're doing, but it's how it's affecting things around us, people around us. Yeah. Then if you're just purely mindful externally, then you, you can have a lot of attention on how to, how to do functions and how things work and where things are kept and good librarian, you know, good technician but you're not necessarily aware of your own 
um, attitudes and uh, um, <coughs> qualities. So the bringing the two together, internally and externally. So naturally, you know that that can seem to be quite a, a big job, but but. Uh, by itself, it already sets up the understanding that if you want to really, you know, develop it, then you've got to keep your your internal and your external world fairly simple and open. You don't want to get it too cluttered up because the more stuff you've got internally and externally, the more stuff you've got to keep, you know, tuning into and 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 editing and and surveying you know, so in externally of course we can get caught up with lots of of possessions and things we're doing and plans and projects and aims and ambitions and internally we can get caught up with lots of views opinions attitudes strategies you know bits of knowledge and is that the other you know kind of all yeah all of it's true in a way but how much can you actually handle before you know, there isn't that sense of, of settledness, uh, of things just kind of settling down, which is what you're looking for. How much do you need to know in order to, to tune in to the place where the mind starts to settle and feel not settled into some kind of numb state, but, but the energy of the mind is balanced and, and comfortable? How much can you handle? Yeah. And it's just knowing that, you know, internally and externally. How much can you do? How much can you solve? How much can you figure? How much can you um, make other people be some way or another? How much can you get involved? How much can you take on externally and internally? How much can you, you know, analyze yourself, figure yourself, sort yourself, you know, have plans and models of yourself before it becomes just, uh, you know, the mind is too busy. It doesn't actually, you're losing the faculty of sampajanya, of just steady awareness. So by itself, it, it does, this, 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 when mindfulness is properly tuned in, it does start to moderate our lives. You know, so you live within that. And the Buddha said, if you, you know, this is your abiding place, to abide within the foundations of the places of establishing mindfulness, the sphere of mindfulness, the domain of mindfulness, so then you won't get, you won't get blown away. You know, he doesn't actually say, you know, specify, um, you know, whether, how much work one should do, or people one should know, or talking one should do, or, you know, but but to know when you're losing it, uh, to, to know you know today you can, maybe in five years you can, right now you can't. This that you know, it's kind of get some sense of where the mind is actually able to comprehend its patterns, its strategies, its its tensions, its obsessions, and begin to release them. Find the place of releasing them. Because this is mindfulness when it's tuned in 
to the process of purification, of release, of awakening. Mm. Mindfulness, as you said, internally and externally. And it sounds pretty simple, but actually it's not always the case that we really can differentiate the two. You know? So particularly uh, in terms of other people, you know, we, have mo- we have images and impressions of other people that are held internally, and we assume that that's actually who that is externally. He really is that which I experience in my mind or heart. That's who he is. You know, so, are you sure? They're not quite... <laughs> you know, it's, it's, the, it's the most uh, natural, in fact, probably on, only really enlightened beings don't, uh, are able to, to know the difference. Because most of us have this quality, this perception aggregate, which means we take a photograph, if you like, of something and it, a heart photograph or something, it stays in our mind. That's my cousin, that's my daughter, that's my dog. That's, and it's got a particular emotional flavor to it. And then, of course, when that person doesn't act in accordance with one's, one's in, internal impression, well, you've got to let me down. Why do you do that? You shouldn't do that. It's not, you're not fitting my photograph. Something wrong with you. <laughs> Actually, the problem is the photograph, isn't it? It's not that you can expect the mind not to do that. That's a natural faculty, perception. It keeps us kind of more or less sane. But you've always got to kind of say, it's only a sketch, isn't it? And you, always, you know, This is the internal impression. That's the external impression. And you, know, you can't, you've got to keep recognizing it's never going to be accurate. Because uh, if it was, there would be such a thing as a self, wouldn't there? That you are something that's finite, fixed, unchanging, that, you know. And, and it's not the case, is it? There's a whole flow of moods and energies and attitudes and skillful and unskillful factors. So whatever we've taken a photograph of, we've probably taken a photograph of the bits that I like or the bits I don't like or the bits that seem easy to me to define He's one of those, he's an engineer, she's a great cook or something, and that's, that's the bit I've got. You know, so all our internal impressions are flavoured by our own attitudes, bases, karma, circumstances. And uh, mostly we keep seeing the world around us through those internal impressions that don't always differentiate between the two. Hmm. And it can be it can be uh, take people to the point of serious delusion. Very serious delusion. <laughs> you know, I was reading about the uh, I don't know if you remember a few years ago there was a uh, a particular religious group, I think they're kind of of a Christian persuasion called Heaven's Gate, and they they the, at that time there was the comet uh, 
the Harley Bop comet was coming close to the Earth. People were getting quite excited about this comet coming, and they had this idea that that behind the comet was this spaceship, and uh, which which was going to take them to heaven. You know, uh, so, so it was traveling in the wake of the comet, and that they their idea was they they could get on board this thing. So they all killed themselves with the with uh, the idea that their their spirits, their souls, would get on board this spaceship behind the comet, which was going it's kind of full of angels going to heaven or something. And they, they you know, they they got a telescope to see this, um, so they could scrutinize this comet to see the spaceship behind it. it cost several thousand dollars this uh, telescope. And they were looking intently, couldn't see the spaceship, thought something wrong with the telescope, sent it back. Said, the telescope's no good, can't see the spaceship. Sounds funny when other people would do it, doesn't it? <laughs> and yet, you know, you recognize that uh, I think there's nothing that one, that any human being does that no other human beings can actually relate to, you know. So obviously we see things extreme delusion, you know, but recognizing, you know, that that, how much, what's that pointing to? One's own, you know, wish fulfillment, one's own uh, expectation, one's own ideology, one's own position, getting projected out. That's what it's about. And how many times do we do that? You know, how many times do we say those, you know, and, and what, what's in that, you know, the, whether it's um, um, negative or either greed or aversion? Yeah. And how many times do you actually check it out? That's the important thing. Because, uh, you know, to, to imagine that one doesn't have any greed or aversion is a little bit presumptuous. But you want to know these flavors. And this is how you know it. Check it out externally. When we conceive of others, you really... And they, they take on particular forms. You, you really owe it to yourself, to as well as to them, to check it out. You know? So the Buddha says, you know, being mindful internally, has one mindful internally, through establishing these foundations, these places of mindfulness, of of knowing the body in the body, you know, this bodily experience for what it is. And knowing the um, feeling, the quality of pleasure, pain, and also perceptions in that, where we feel, uh, uh, you know, enthusiastic or welcomed or positive, positive perceptions or negative perceptions, the fundamental push-pull of our minds on a, on a kind of um, pleasure level or agreeable, you know, not necessarily ecstatic, but something which we feel agreeable uh, conducive, or that which we feel disagreement with. So you be mindful of that, be mindful of that experience. And then what the mind is affected by, the particular flavorings at any time. You know, the, the prickling of resistance, the sinking of doubt, or spinning out of doubt, or the feeling of guilt or apprehension, or the kind of, you know, surging out of some kind of passion or or um, opinion or view 
and then noticing things in terms of the whether what processes mental processes lead to lead to release lead to awakening and which bung it up you know <laughs> and so you keeping that in mind and externally is really interesting it says how is one mindful externally how in being mindful externally is, does one help others? This is through establishing patience, harmlessness, kindness, and empathy. Patience, you know, just kind of bearing with that immediate surge of opinion, judgment, reaction. Typifying, just whoa, just be, just hold the space open a little bit, you know, till that because the energy of contact when we meet other people, there's a particular contact impression. The mind moves out, you know, with certain as, uh, assumptions about another person. It's obvious enough, and then you've got to meet what happens, where they're coming from, and there's a little bit of friction, wobbly. Well, we adjust. We've got to kind of get to sense each other. Sometimes we get quite nervous, or we try to ease the contact. You know, shake hands, tell a joke, say it's a nice day, something meaningless to just create a bit of a, a bland space where we we can let ourselves kind of find each other. Yeah. So that point of contact is the place where. The, uh, the the reactivity can occur. So you're just patient. Give it some time. Doesn't mean, an, you know, hmm, how is it now? Hmm. And this is a, a, the skill, patience in, in, this, in this relational sense, means there's a certain kind of, you know, no restraint. No restraint. It doesn't mean shutting off. It means we're not just immediately, ha, ah, Oh, it's just mm-hmm. mm. because I want to actually, I want to know, I want to know what's happening in my mind and heart when I see you, hear your voice, come into contact. I want to be clear about that. It's so easy for my mind to just assume this or assume that. I want to be responsible, check that out. So this kind of sense of restraint around contact is a. Is a training. It doesn't mean repression of contact. It doesn't mean cutting it off. It means just just checking it. So, as we come into contact, there's generally a little kind of flutter of some disturbance, not necessarily negative, but almost like you see two amoebas coming towards each other, and a little kind of lobe of one amoeba comes out and it boom, touches the other one. As a whoop, what's that? <laughs> It's rather like that, you know. Minds are like that. They kind of reach out and there's a little, how are you? Okay, what's going on? Oh, okay, now we're kind of in a flow. We move along. Um, Sometimes it takes quite a bit of, you know, depending if there's uh, someone's rather heated up, it may take a little bit more time than that. You know, just, oh, patience, just giving it some space until you find that, Contact is properly established. Instead of projection occurring, there is a sense of, ah, now we are in contact. Now we have actually met. We're not just talking at or, or um, 
you know, monologue, two monologues running in different directions. And uh, in, in certainly in, in relationships, it's often useful just to say, did you get what I meant? You know, are you with that? Because we always assume that, uh, you know, it's just like plugging in a telephone, it's immediately going to work. But through experience, you recognize that uh, you don't always get it, what somebody's saying. Yeah. Oh, it's good to just check. Have you got that? Is that with you? Okay. Yeah. So the contact actually really does get there. So that patience is that holding the space and um, non-violence, ahimsaka. Now, one can be violent in quite a few ways. Uh, It doesn't necessarily mean physical violence. One could certainly be uh, emotionally violent or or verbally violent, which means you just want to... You know, you, you you dump your stuff on somebody else, <laughs> verbally, or, <laughs> you know. You violate, you abuse somebody else's consciousness, somebody else's mind. You probably don't intend to do that, you think you're just making it clear or expressing yourself, but, you know, um, I guess we, you know, we do knock each other around a bit. Mm. But it, it, a, a good um, good checkpoint to know if you're going off or not is to, is have you actually uh, when you have you given them the time to say something back? <laughs> yeah. Like you just kind of have you actually said, well, this is what it seems like to me. How's that for you? Have you actually offered that? that mutuality to it. Uh, and there seems to be a good checkpoint in, in being with other people rather than, you did this, you did that, you did this, and this whole kind of how I'm feeling about the way you did this and how I, you know, uh, you know, I really feel upset the way you did this and that and this and that. And, that. and then you go on that like 10 minutes and I want you to hear what this and that, and, that it's, and then you sort of leave. The other guy is like, Argh. Well, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, some process with it. And, you know, nonviolence is, is, uh, is quite, a, quite an art. You know, there's a whole science of it, isn't it? This um, Marshall Rosenberg created a whole school of nonviolent communication. Because obviously, it was something that, that people needed help in learning. And yeah. in, in, in the, in, you know, the fundamental theme of it is you have to check out you know, what's happening internally, what's happening externally, and just keep recognizing we're probably not quite 100% clear. We've got to fudge around until, oh, oh that's where you are. Okay, um, yeah. You know, boom. Before it really meets what's happening you know, this is what's happening for me, what's happening for you, and where do those two things meet? And he, he made a great success out of this. You know, it's people who'd lived together for 25 years actually had all kinds of assumptions about each other that they hadn't checked out. Because it's a bit embarrassing, isn't it, sometimes? 
You think you know somebody. But I remember doing a right, right, right speech workshop one, one time, which was quite a revelation because I had people, you know, you'd break up into groups of two, and one person would just spend five minutes saying, you know, nothing, just what they've been doing the last week. The other person would sit in front of them and listen. And then, then when the person said their five minutes, three, four minutes, you know, the other person would then say to, back to them what they'd heard. And nobody got it right. Yeah. And some people actually were, they were couples in relationship and recognizing that, you know, I'm sitting right in front of you, listening with a complete intention to tell you what you said and I didn't get it right. What's the chance of us getting it right at other times? I think a few people split up after that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you assume that uh, you know you, you can read my mind. You know, I had this thought. So you obviously everybody thinks that, and I've explained it anyway. So we, you know, so patience and and um, recognizing the need for for non-violence, or you might say what these other terms mean: kindness and empathy. The real wish, how can this be uh, what I'm doing, what I'm saying, how can it actually meet you in the most positive way? So even if it's uh, having to point out uh, somebody's getting something wrong, you know, somebody's making a mistake, kindness and empathy. And uh, a very good way of, of just trying to bring this into mind is to first of all, you know, Recognize, no no person is utterly deluded. You know, you know, most people are are like a bit deluded. You know, nobody's utterly deluded. Most people are are doing things they feel are right, or clear, or helpful, or normal, or something like that. <laughs> so. So you've got to kind of come to the, the own mind state saying, basically, this person is a good person uh, because I respect them um, and wish for their welfare, I may be able to help by pointing out something where they haven't seen it. Rather than, you flaming idiot, you know, da, 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 da. just say, uh, you know, bear in your mind, I know you're a good person, so you probably would like to know that this is the way we drive a car, we stay on one side of the road, for example. <laughs> Generally, in this country, it's the left side. <laughs> and I thought you might like to know that because uh, you've probably been noticing my knuckles have gone white. <laughs> and that's a, that's a sign that uh, lack of confidence is there. <laughs> it doesn't mean you're blaming them or accusing them of being nasty, it's just a sense of, you know, that it would benefit you if you to know this and empathy uh, this means just that sense of well what would it be like to be in her shoes what would it be like to be in his position mm. you know what would it be like if you were new here you know if you had only just arrived mm. what would it be like if you'd been here for years you know 
And uh, you know, what, would be, what would that be like? What would it be like if you were this age, or this gender, or this nationality? What would it be like if your native language wasn't English? You know, and people start coming out with strange colloquial expressions and funny jokes, and you don't get it. You know, <laughs> not because you're an idiot. <laughs> what would it be like? You know, so bearing that in mind. And these are, are, you know, we can look at that in a number of ways. Certainly in monastic life, what is the the aim of being a summoner? You've got the kind of rules, the protocols, the sense of the themes of it, the simplicity, the renunciation, the modesty, the the, um, celibacy, the, uh, um, you know, non-obsession with worldly possessions or even worldly aims, you know. So you've got these kind of things you keep referring to. Because uh, just just that, that sense of to develop wisdom, you have to know where you're going wrong. And mostly, most of us don't like that. <laughs> we don't like to know we're getting it wrong. We like to know we're getting it right. We don't like to know we're getting it wrong. But that <laughs> that's 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 why we're not so wise. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes if you're getting it wrong, you know, then the ability to address that without kind of blame and accusation either other people getting on your case and you know or or yourself getting caught up with guilt and feeling hopeless but just oh that that was the wrong but how wonderful we found out what was wrong that was that bit ah and then the quality of sampajanya the full awareness i felt like that this sort of uh ah that's what it was and then it dissolves because all these right, wrong, good, bad, internal, external, me, you, um, you know, dualisms, which can seem like you continue having to juggle, you know, one thing against another thing. Point of prob- the fundamental quality of sampajanya is that that starts to unify. Because the unifying quality of internal, external, right, wrong, Skillful, unskillful is a certain energy. You know, the, you might say the energetic potential of the mind. So, when the mind is heated, when it's pushy, when it's resistant, there's a very different energetic qualities to them. The thinking mind can can justify just about anything. You know, as making it clear or taking a firm stance or. Um, you know, um, letting people know what's happening or whatever, you know. And we can commit acts of of, uh, abuse and arrogance in those ways. Mm. You know, the energy, you know, one can know when it's even, not, you know, even all round, uh, not bunched up, not pushing, not resisting, when it's even all round, when it's settled, when it's comfortable. You know, when it doesn't retract, when it doesn't push forward, 
Uh, you know? And this is how, uh, as you begin to r- know your rights and your wrongs and this and that and all this seemingly wobbling around, the point of it is it starts to you go less and less wrong, less and less off, less and less fixed, and the mind starts to come into a quality of unity, which is a, a sense of a steady energy. And this is where mindfulness supports samadhi, or right right concentration, right unification. Because you know, when you develop mindfulness around something like mindfulness of breathing, you know, then you can, you, what you, you know, the breathing is a pretty simple object in many ways, just breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out. And we can, you know, ask all kinds of things for special forms of breathing or subtle breathing or you know, particular places where we're breathing. But the main thing is that um, the Buddha recommends just you knowing your breathing and you knowing your breathing out. And the, the breathing itself will change. You don't have to do a whole lot to it. Um, but what you do need to do is, is establish the right relationship to that so there's a sense of settledness Steadiness, you know, contentment, ease, which is not drifting off, not pushing forward, not clamping down tight, not spacing out. And this then, this quality of the mental, or psychological, or emotional, or energy of awareness and the energy of the breathing start to blend. You know, and that's the sign. That's the sign of samadhi. That's the sign when it comes together. When you know that, you see how your wisdom faculty has developed samadhi. And samadhi gives you a particular uh, reference point, what it's like when you feel steady, contented, peaceful, You know how you see the world, what kind of mental attitudes pertain when your mind is, is found that balance. And you don't have obsessiveness, and you don't have um, strong views and opinions, and you don't have strong rights and wrongs, and you don't have projections to other people. You just feel, may all beings be well, may I be well, may you be well, breathing in, breathing out. And it's quite, uh, it's holistic. You find it's a resolution. Uh, so this is the, one of the, the points that we, as we cultivate, you can recognize your practice of mindfulness is bearing fruit when... You know, internally, your, your samadhi is, is coming around quite easily, quite um, steadily. Externally, you're finding yourself flowing, you know, and, and open and available. Uh, and so the, you know, in both the internal world and the external world, there's a sense of, of um, steadiness and contentment. You know, and so this is, you know, the results, isn't it? And when it's not like that, start to figure out, is it his fault? Is it her fault? Is it my fault? Is it this? Is it that? Where is it going wrong? And, uh, you know, often we think, well, because of her, because of me, something wrong with me, something wrong with her. Actually, the point is often that just that how is the relationship you know, is how the sense of me and the sense of you get established in any particular situation. And that's what we, the expectations or the the projections or the opinions or the, 
or the uh, hopes, you know. There, that's where you you begin to sense it. Mm. Mm. It'd be nice to have a kind of finishing line, but I haven't got one, so <laughs> just say I'll just kind of rallying grand finale but it just didn't happen so I'll just stop <laughs>